Hello and welcome to another podcast. It is Coach Mark in Manila here from ESL, businessenglishexperts.com and initial-impact.com. These podcasts you're listening to here are something different to try and give you access to inspirational people, stories or life ideas to assist you to either improve your life or maybe just practice your higher advanced vocabulary. You're going to listen to a variety of situations including anything from investing, property, perhaps even starting your own business or goodness knows what else, maybe famous scientists, who knows who we will find for you to listen to here. But the whole purpose of these podcasts is to give you an introduction to different vocabs and also challenge you to make it an active listening session. So remember pen and paper at the ready and try to use the vocab in your day-to-day activities going forward after the podcast. So this is the best way, the only way you're going to advance your English is to use it. If you don't use it, you lose it. So good luck, happy listening and take inspiration. I'll see you soon. All right, folks, welcome back to another incredible edition of the Summer Series. And the person we're chatting with today, Ben, is a remarkable story of overcoming an incredible amount of odds. Ben, what are the odds that she overcame? Bryce, without giving too much away, let me just tell this story. In the bottom 15% at school, pregnant at 18, works part-time, is divorced, and still finds a way to build a multi-million dollar property portfolio. It is outstanding in Folks, terms of resilience and persistence. is going to blow your mind. Let's rip into the show now. Welcome to The Property Couch, where each week you get to listen to two of Australia's leading experts. Bryce Holdaway, co-host of Location, Location, Location Australia on Foxtel's Lifestyle Channel. Co-host of Escape from the City on the ABC and partner of Empower Wealth Advisory, Ben Kingsley, Chair of Property Investors Council of Australia and the founder of Empower Wealth Advisory, named the 2018 and 2019 Property Advisory Firm of the Year. Stay tuned as they bring you the Insider's Guide to Property, Finance and Money Management. All right, mate, welcome back to another episode of the Property Couch. This is the summer series. We are starting to get a little sun on our backs, depending on where you are in this country, Ben. But today's episode is a must-listen episode because this is a story of circumstances that shouldn't allow you to build a multi-million dollar property portfolio, and this woman does it in spades. It's incredibly inspiring. It is, and and obviously it was pre-recorded with Mandy, and you know some of the challenges that she's had since that time, I mean, because we're going to hear here that she lives in Forbes and it's had record floods through that particular area. So it's quite a fascinating story in terms of, you know, how, she, again, you you know, life delivers up these curveballs. So I, I just can't wait to, you can hear how Mandy just basically handles those and how she overcomes those with resilience and the great mindset. So I think it's a, it's a ripper. She is an inspiring woman. And before we get to the episode, Ben, we just want to remind folks that everything is about getting your house in order. It's about managing your money. And we are super excited that the more platform now has mobile. And so what I want to encourage folks is that listen to these stories, be inspired by these stories, and go and use the more platform to get your house in order so that you can be 
in an upcoming episode with us talking about your own financial transformation because there's a fair bit that you can get done with that platform, Ben. Oh, there's a heap of things, Bryce. I mean, look, the motivations for us have always been really clear about helping you get organized. You know, the Make Money Simple Again best-selling book was, uh, you know, about our money management system that was less than 10 minutes a month. So we make it really easy for you and the feeling of control that you'll get. And, you, you know, one of the things you'll hear throughout the summer series is this element of these people are in control. You know, if you think about their seven grades of financial well-being, they're at the control or financial peace stage. So it is an awesome way to think about that. And so we're encouraging you that if you don't have yourself organized and you don't have a tool to get yourself organized, this is the way to go. Folks, this is an amazing story. I reckon you're going to enjoy it a lot. Let's have a little listen to the conversation that you and I had recently with Mandy Sweeney. All right, man, we've got a very special guest today on the Summer Series. Very excited to chat with a TPC listener. Her name is Mandy Sweeney. Welcome to the Property Couch, Mandy. Thank you very much. Hi, how are you doing? Oh, we're doing super well, but I'm super excited to talk about your story today. I've got a little insight into the backstory, but um, we're going to unpack it and um, go through a few layers. But um, let's start with an easy one for you. Uh, When you were growing up, Uh, over the dinner table, were there conversations around money and uh, what what did that look like? Yes, well, I actually interviewed my mother and father and my sister (laughs) to make sure I was on the same um, wavelength with them. But um, mum was a stay-at-home mum. She did occasionally work um, on and off throughout the years, Um, but my dad was an interstate truck driver. And so he would be away for most of the week and be home for maybe one or two nights a week. So basically we were raised uh, by mum on the sunny coast of Queensland. Um, They were very young parents and both came from large families. My dad has 10 brothers and sisters and my mother has eight. So um, money growing up with them was never talked about. It was actually considered rude we never asked my sister and I never asked about money because it was just off the table you just didn't talk about it so um what did that mean growing- if you if you raised the subject what what was there a was there something that said hose that down quickly yeah yeah it, we were shut down we, we were just told that that's none of your business um that's not for you to worry about um yeah we, we just it wasn't discussed and you, you just learn at a young age not to ask. <laughs> you yep. just didn't ask. So, Mandy, um, Mandy, as part of that, that sort of just double click on Bryce is saying, did you work out that it wasn't, you know, that, that there was an abundance amount there or there was some there or you're missing out or what you were buying and the goods and how did, how did that play out? I, I went to a state school and I was poor yep. and I knew I was poor. Um, yeah we I I knew we didn't have much money Um, mum and dad always provided we always had food on the table always had a roof over our head but I also knew there was no spare money there was no money (laughs) we did later on in life when we became teenagers um, we were to earn pocket money but the work they made us do for like two dollars <laughs> fifty it just wasn't worth it. <laughs> it's like no, I'd rather have nothing. <laughs> so um, yeah, yeah, uh, I, I, I did write some dot points. So um, yeah, mum and dad stayed home, very young parents. Yep, yeah, never spoke about 
uh, they rent, mum and dad actually rented that. What what I did learn from my mum and dad was to pay down debt. They never had debt. If they got a car loan, it was always paid off well in advance. It was, um, I, I don't know how much, but I just always knew that any debt was always paid off. They were really good at paying debt. I don't think they were very good at saving because I don't think there was a lot of money left in the pot at the end of the week. Um, so they weren't good at saving, but they were very good at paying off debt. So I was 16 when they brought their first property in Forbes, New South Wales. Okay. So, and it was, you know, an entry level style property. I think about a hundred thousand they paid for it. So yeah, I was 16. Uh, yeah. I, I guess um, mum and dad, mum, mum was only 17 when she had my sister and then 19 when she had me. So, and they, uh, all their family was in Forbes, but they moved to Queensland. So they were very isolated, um, raising myself and my sister. So I, I guess they, they learnt from their parents and they didn't have anyone else to really show them. So... I, I felt like I grew up with um, an older, much older sister rather than a mother. She was a mother. She was a mum, not a mother, yeah. um, type thing. Yeah, because yeah. you were so young, and obviously, and and how proud were you know was your dad to um, provide for you or to ask for help? I mean, was was that something that they would they would do, or you know, sort of were they a classic working class? Um, you know, people that sort of started young and then just tried to eke out a lifestyle. Exactly that. Um, Never asked for help. Never, um, always did it themselves, always improvised. I remember my first bike was made from scraps from the tip, you know, put put together. And then I did get a a yellow bike that I outgrew (laughs) before I got (laughs) sick of riding the bike. Um, yeah, to the point where, yeah, dad couldn't raise the handlebars or the seat any higher for me. We knew the value of a dollar. We knew not to waste it. Uh, clothes were secondhand. We're always, you know, the annual pilgrimage to Forbes, always um, the bag of clothes from my cousins, secondhand clothes. Although my sister, um, I come from a tall family and I'm very short. And my sister, because she was so tall, uh, she always got tended to get more new clothes than me because she was so tall and nothing fitted up. (laughs) (laughs) But, um, yeah, so, so growing up, yeah, definitely no money talk. Um, No, not really. It was typical. Sorry to jump in there. It seemed like it was typical because like I can can relate to that story because you think, you know, 30 years ago, we're back in the nineties and um, my dad um, was on a mission to pay off the mortgage as quickly as he possibly could um, because he was pre baby boomer. He was part of, you know, saw, I think about what he saw, he saw wars, he saw depressions, he saw austerity, and he knew that his his plan was to buy his house, pay it off as quickly as possible. But what it meant that there was um, there was no free cash flow left um, yeah. at all, right? Everything was going towards that mortgage and he nailed it in seven years. Um, wow. But I remember thinking when my sister got a, um, a boyfriend uh, about 1992 and they went out for dinner, I'm like, wow. Don't out for dinner. That's it. Like, cause that just, yeah, you know, extravagant. We, got the, we got the occasional hungry jacks. Um, <laughs> but generally speaking, it was in. So it sounds like your parents, um, from the description you just provided, they they really nailed the priorities. Like you sound like you you said you always had food on the table, always had a roof over your head, 
So the, mm. the the very basics of life were a number one priority, but it just sounded like the 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 free cash flow that comes to do other experiences meant that it it created you know to use your words we went to a state school and we knew we were poor so yeah um i'm interested to know what that meant for you as you go through this um this these formative years of having that experience yeah. um what what did that do for teenage years and you know you talked about two dollars fifty pocket money first jobs um, and then first um, sort of um, more um, independent job. What what was your attitude towards money having seen um, that growing up? Or lack of seeing. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I got a job when I was 13 working yeah. at a takeaway shop, making sandwiches, and I hustled. And I've been hustling ever since. I, I, I knew I needed to do it on my own. I didn't, you know, I just knew the money wasn't there from mum and dad. Not, not that it was even a consideration, but even when I got the job, I remember mum and dad never sitting me down and talking to me about money, um, about what I should do with the money, what I could do with the money and how it will help me. I just spent, I just, you know, <laughs> I just loved it. Yeah. I loved that independence and that freedom. And that's why I think that's why I got the job at, at 13, because I wanted to know what it felt like to have, you know, to, to be able to have what my friends had uh, yes and I brought a lot of shit but I mean I was only 13 probably earning <laughs> you know five 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 dollars an hour or something um but yeah and ever since then I've always worked uh with the public and um always worked I, I didn't do very well at school I you know um what do they give you that um when I did my HSC I was in the bottom 15 percent um, graduating yeah. and um, my best friend. you graduated. I did so graduate year 12. So you're still glass half full, not glass half empty. That's a big it, mindset it, thing for you. So Exactly. And you know what? I can't look back at school and go, oh, they were the best years of my life. I hated it and I yeah. cannot go back and think, oh, would I have done things differently? I probably wouldn't have because I didn't have, I don't have that capacity to learn the way that the school wants me to learn. Um, and I don't know how I could uh, could have approached school any differently to how I did. Um, but, yeah, I turned up every day and some of the teachers would have preferred me not to. <laughs> <laughs> Mandy, I'm, I'm going to go into a sensitive area here, so let me know if this is too difficult to go into or not because I think it, it sure. it's an area that I want to address more broadly because I think it's got benefits for the community. Um, yep. Your, your mum and dad um, grew up in big families. And I'm assuming they also grew up in a pretty sort of lower socio-demographic, right? If if we follow the statistics, that says that the vast majority of people, you know, we don't fall too far from the tree. And, I'm, you know, there is a cycle that, that keeps going here. Now, the sensitivity yeah. around this question is starting with, um, with your dad having so many brothers and sisters and being in big families. Did, was there any breakaway family, brothers or sisters on either side that actually... Um, broke that cycle and, and ultimately became successful and financially well off or anything like that. And, and the second part of that question is um, what percentages of that of the family was it? Because uh, that's, you know, if that's consistent with the basically overall percentages, it's a small percentage. Um, and then secondly, was there any um, conflict or um, animosity between um, the, the the successful ones in the family and the ones who, uh, who didn't quite get there or always battling. Yeah. Okay. So, yes, 
especially dad's family, it's quite diverse with, um, I don't think anybody went to university. None of, none of my aunts or uncles went to university on either side. But my dad's side of the family, most got good jobs. They got good jobs yeah. and they married intelligent people. So they did well within their means. Excellent. So some did that and then others were just more salt-of-the-earth type people and just worked really, really hard but always just stayed as the working class, you know, hard workers, um, drovers. I've got drovers in the family. Um, I roo shooters, God bless them. (laughs) (laughs) But um, farmers, a few farmers as well. A lot of my uncles went and worked on farms as farmhands and retired as farmhands. So, yeah. And so no, a bit no, of a diverse, yeah, diverse very, outcome there, which is good. Yeah, okay. Very diverse. Um, no animosity. Everybody always still got along with everybody. Um, right. they, they just knew what their lot was in life. Okay. Um, and they were happy with that. They didn't, there was no jealousy. There was no resentment. Um, and that, like I've got a couple of nurses. Um, my aunts are nurses and they've done really well with that. Um, and they, they were really happy. They, um, my family, both sides aren't, well, they're not setting the world on fire um, academically or financially, but they're all really content. Yeah. They all are really yeah. content with their lot. So, yeah. Which is great. So, I mean, um, let's go. So you got your first job at 13. You obviously, yep. um, you know, you started uh, spending the cash. Uh, you went through high school. Clearly, that wasn't the environment that uh, allowed you to thrive. But you did. You did graduate, as Ben pointed out. There, what happened? Yeah. What happened post high school for you? What was the next move? I got pregnant, mm. <laughs> pretty well straight out of school. Uh, a couple of months after graduating, I fell pregnant, and um, my boyfriend at the time we'd only been dating for a couple of months, so that was you know decision making time. Um, come to the table and let's talk about this. Um, so we decided to keep the baby and make a go of it, and he had just finished his apprenticeship uh, when I fell pregnant. So um, we kind of, he, he was really good. My family and his family were supportive. So we actually, when I was six months pregnant, we brought a first house together. It was $83,000 um, in Forbes, and it needed a little bit of work, but with Russell's skills we were able to you know do a few improvements we didn't have a lot of money obviously to splash around so then obviously when I graduated I just did casual work I was only ever casual because I was pregnant and then when I had my daughter I had a back injury from giving birth to her fat head and (laughs) um, it so it took me about 12 months to get back to work to find a job and um, go back to work. But again, always just casual. It was never a permanent job. It was just always casual. We eventually had another child five and a half years later, Alex. And by that time, we had sold our first house and brought a new one. And it, this second house, I think, planted the seed for me for property investing because it, it was an old colonial-style house, weatherboard, very run down, but it was on a corner block of a, I think it was an acre and a quarter. And it was positioned right on the corner of that block, which lent it to be subdivided. 
uh, and I think we only paid 80000 for that but spent 20000 doing the house up. And, um, yeah, then we, were able, we, we subdivided and that planted the seed for me that, oh, my God, property can make money. <laughs> <laughs> Just before we get on to the property story here, what about the, yeah. the money management story around um, how did you set up your finances, um, your boyfriend for a short period of time, sort of following in your mum and dad's footsteps in terms of having children early? Um, yes. That's, that's a very common yep. trait uh, for people who yep. have their children early. Um, so how, how were you managing the family budget um, with your daughter? What's her name? Claudia. Claudia. So Claudia. With, with, yeah. with Claudia being born, how's the household budget sort of being managed? And obviously with your back injury, did it put a lot of pressure on, on the family budget? I guess I grew up poor. So having no money, I was used to it. Yep. So, and, and then I never had that opportunity to leave school and have a week's wage to do with what I wanted. I was always, I always had responsibilities. Um, so we just made it work. There was no budget. There was no conversations about money. Money went into a joint account and we just made it work. Russell, I would say, was the guiding. He offered more guidance to me than the other way around with money. Um, because he'd already, you know, been out in the workforce, had the money, uh, had some money, had some savings. So, yeah, he he guided me a bit more with that. But we definitely felt that we both needed to be contributing financially in order to get ahead. Um, what did that look like? Did you have um, the flower jars with the money going in? Did you have a, a spreadsheet? Did you have a journal? What what? You, you, know, you, said no. you put the money in and you made it work. <laughs> what was the practicality of that? No, we just each week I knew how much money we were going to earn because um, it was just a wage. He just got a wage. And we just knew this is how much our mortgage is. This is how much our electricity usually is. And this is how much we've got left over. Gotcha. Um, yeah, there, there was no science to it at all. We just, I, I guess when you earn so little, there's not actually much to budget out. <laughs> yeah. There's just not that opportunity to have any money left over to discuss. Um, yeah, so. So we've we, we had a Claudia when we're 18 years of age. Um, yeah. We have our second child whose name is? Alex. Alex. Alex, sorry, my bad. Yeah, um, and, right. so, and so, but then there's another life event. That's five years later, so you're 23. And then yes. fast forward another five years on from that. At 28, yeah. your life changes. Yes. Yeah. I, um, I uh, Russell and I went our separate ways. And so Alex hadn't quite started school. He was just about to start school the following year. Um, and Claudia was, yeah, in primary school. So I got the family house, uh, the family home. Russell got the back half acre block because we'd already, he'd gone out on his own um, as a carpenter. Uh, and so he got the back block with the workshop. And within months, I sold the family home because it was a little bit too close to my ex-husband <laughs> um, with him working in the backyard. So I brought, I, look, I really don't know how I did it, but I, I saw this house for sale it was in the right area of Forbes because you you guys are always talking about, uh, you know, when we talk about the Australian property market, there's markets within markets. 
Well, even in Forbes, there's markets within markets. And yeah, you've got the hospital hill. And that's where, you know, you get another 20 to 30% on a house if it's up on that hill. And I just happened to see a house, a brick house for sale. And it was advertised as a two bedroom, but it had this massive three and a half metre by 10 metre loft in it with access from the lounge room going up to this loft. And I'm like, Okay, so I brought this house for 160000 I sold the family home for, so we're only talking low dollars here. We're, yeah. we're talking, you know, um, entry we level We are talking dollars. a while ago too, so it's all conscious. Yeah, yep. money hasn't changed much here in Forbes. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I sold the family home for 140000 and I brought this house for one hundred and sixty plus I borrowed a little bit extra just to do a few renovations. It had no heating or cooling in it. So I put an air conditioner in it and just to get a couple of, I, and um, the bathroom was leaking. So I had to put a new bathroom in it. So I borrowed that during that time. Again, only working casually. Um, it was around 2009, I think. No, it's got to be early. around 2006 yeah. drought. We were in drought again. Um, so work wasn't abundant. So I just started renovating the house, um, painting it, doing up the garden, putting a fence out the front. And uh, being in a small community, I also know people, tradesmen, that uh, allowed me to work with them to cut out the labour costs of doing renovating. So, um, you know, the jute rocker would help me put up the sheets and I'd do the painting and the plumber, I'd dig the trenches and... Uh, so that helped reduce. And so then I improved this house. I turned it into a three-bedroom house from a two-bedroom to a three-bedroom in the better area of Forbes. Um, and I was like, oh, I kind of liked that. Yeah. And then I moved on. I, I, I got a contract with um, a government agency for, and I worked there for about three years. And that was the most permanent job I've ever had in my life. I worked three years as an admin um, receptionist for this uh, government agency and you, as you know it earns a little bit more than your average office work when you're working for government so I took that opportunity my kids had every tutoring sporting thing going under the sun if I could afford tutoring I'd do it for them um, sports each season they went to the private schools here in Forbes and um, and then I also just got the idea because we had a Honda Jazz as well. So it, um, one of the first model Honda Jazzes. So it was only a tiny little car and the kids were always at me, can we get a bigger car? Can we get a bigger car? And I'm like, ah, I said, but whatever we own this car, we can afford to do a little bit of traveling. I said, because if we get a loan for a car, we can just look at it. We won't be able to afford to drive it. We can just look at it. So we kept this Honda Jazz and then I decided one day, no, okay, I'll have to upgrade. So I went, I made an appointment with the bank to get a car loan and on the way I was just in cold sweats. I just was in cold sweats. My stomach was knotted and I turned around and went back to work and rang the bank up and said, I can't do it. I said, I'm really sorry. What was going on? I just, I, the, the, Fear of going into debt for a car just made me sick, physically sick. I just couldn't do it. So um, I went back and then within a month, 
I went back to the bank and brought a block of land um, for $40,000. And I didn't, didn't think twice of it. I just went straight in. And wow. It, and it just felt like the right, right thing to do. It felt like the right thing to do, of course. In hindsight, it was a brilliant thing to do. But let's just build some context. You just got out of a, a significant relationship you'd been in just out of high school. You've got two kids. You talked about moving from a house that you had that um, you sold for 140, but you went 160. But I'm assuming there was some debt still on that uh, 160. It sounds like there was some equity in there, but there's also some debt. And then there was drought. And so there's some big, there's big emotions that you're processing at this time. You know, I'm on my own. I've got these two kids. I've got to service loans. And oh, yeah. Yeah. And by the way, instead of buying a car, I'll just buy another block of land. Like, you said it nonchalantly, but that, that they're big decisions, Mandy. So can can you talk to a little bit about your mindset at the time? Um, yes. Uh, I brought the first house after the divorce, um, knowing that this was it for me. I, I can't rely on anybody else to support me, to help provide for me or my children. I was it. I, I knew that I was only ever destined for entry-level work, receptionist, checkout chick, um, waitress, bar attendant, that sort of thing. I I didn't have the intellectual skills to further uh, myself that way. So I knew I had to hustle. I I knew I had to think outside the square because I knew I also didn't want to be working uh, my guts out till I died. Um, I, I knew that there had to be more to life than working you know, seven days a week on a job that you just don't enjoy. That lesson your parents taught you about that $2.50 sounds like it served you for the rest of your life. <laughs> exactly. Thanks, Mum. <laughs> Thanks for being so tight. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and, I, and I, I just knew I knew I had to hustle. Uh, I knew I had to think outside the square um, and buying that house um, with the acre and a quarter block really planted the seed for me to think that I could potentially earn money without having to get out of bed. And so when I saw the block of land for nearly what I was going to buy a new car for, I just thought this is a no-brainer. And I just, and and I'm sure it was wrong, but I just rolled it into my house loan. And for the next 10 years, anything I brought, I never used my own money. I've never used my own money to buy a property. I've always used equity. Um, because I've always uh, brought a house that needed work, moved into the house, done the renovating, built the equity up, and then had the bank come in, value it, and buy the next property, and then move on. So my my children always say that I tortured them that we never lived in a (laughs) renovated house. We've never finished a house and lived in it to enjoy it. <laughs> it's, a, it's a good time to, to put a bow on the conversation with the kids when you got home yeah. and there's no new car. And you've got the Honda yeah. Jazz. Like, so ha- how did that go down? Was that, uh, was that you know, did they talk to you 48 hours later or was it a week later before they reckon? <laughs> it's really funny because once I became a single mum, well, in reflecting, I actually thought that if I had stayed married, I would have raised my children the same way my mum and dad raised me. Maybe I would have talked a little bit more about money, but pretty sure I would have just said, no, that's none of your business. That's for your mum and dad. Don't talk about money. But a light just flicked for me when I became a single mum. I realised that it's not just me in this, it's them as well. 
So I brought them through the journey. Everything was discussed. Um, every time I brought a new property, I discussed it with the kids and said, this is what I'm doing. This is what I'm planning. How you guys feel about that? And they'd just roll their eyes and go, okay, <laughs> pack up again. Let us know when you get the car, mum. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So we didn't get the car and I, I, I did sit them down and talk to them about it and say, look, you know, um, I, I can work for this car. I, we can get a nice car. I said, but we, we just won't be able to afford to do anything. We won't be able to afford to go on the holidays or not that we really went on holidays. We used to just, you know, couch surf a few friends that had, you know, good properties near beaches. <laughs> yeah, nice. Um, She's smart. Can we do yeah. a context for time? When, when are we talking? You bought that block of land, which year? About 2008. 2008. Okay. 2008. And that, that block of land sat there empty for a few years. Um, I just paid it down and was mulling over what to do with it and in between building on that block I brought another house um, so I've I've got the principal place of residence and a block of land and then I buy another house and then another nice area a nice quiet area and it, and it had um, had good bones it had really good bones and had really good potential it'd been really knocked around it'd been tenanted for a long time but it had the beautiful 12 foot high ceilings ornate cornices timber floorboards just a real nice colonial had really nice bones about it so we moved into that um and the block still sat empty and renovated that house okay much so, to the children's pleasure so can i can i just check in here so yeah. the community can play along at home so yep. incomes coming from some full-time work from from occasions at this stage we're still yep. government working i'm assuming we've got some type of maintenance payment coming um, from Russell no. in regard, no, no, so no, so no, no, totally wow, that's yes. that's awesome. So you've got no, so again, yeah. the the message I'm hearing, if it is to be, it's up to me taking responsibility, yeah. and this is basically knowledge is empowering, but only if you act on it. So yeah. you, you're building this knowledge to know to go and renovate. Um, you've probably seen a clue from that with obviously what you did with the first property that you bought and Russell tidied it up and that got your value and mm -hmm. then you obviously got the bigger land block and then you subdivided. So you're learning a little bit of the hands-on experience. Are you getting any other, like are you reading books, you're reading magazines, what sort of other knowledge are you building around this story yeah. of adding value or is it just sort of um, look, see, feel? Yeah. Yeah. The, um, the penny is starting to drop around this time when I've brought my... The, the second house as a single person um, and I start reading, yeah, because I am, we are out in the country. It is a lower socioeconomic area and I'm a single mum. I'm a single woman. I don't have a lot of spare time and I don't network with the right people. Uh, so, yeah, I started reading. I think my first book was The Richest Man in Babylon. Uh, Richest Man in Babylon, all of them, um, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, most of his series. But then when he started to go into shares, I lost interest. The Freakonomics, and I listened to their podcasts. <laughs> um, oh, what, and look, I've, I've got some, um, The Barefoot Investor, most recent ones, The Barefoot Investors. And <laughs> everyone that knows me knows what they're getting for a birthday gift or a Christmas gift. It's an investment book. And I give it to my kids and I give it to my nieces and nephews as birthday gifts. And I go, I'm making you rich. I'm going to make you rich. Yeah, knowledge, Read these. Is, knowledge is empowering. 
that's it. And and I always say to them, I said, it's all there. You've just got to read it. But you've also got to find what each person's carrot is. Like my son read The um, Richest Man in Babylon but didn't quite clinch it. But he read Barefoot Investor and he got it. Mm. Um, my daughter, she read Rich Dad, Poor Dad and she got it. Um, and and they've gone on from there. So, um, so yeah, definitely I started reading. Man, you're the, um, for a lot of people, they think, oh, I'm going to read 20 books and then I'll start. But you've actually just shown yeah. that um, you're going to learn more. Here's, here's a lesson for the community. You're going to learn more by probably reading one book to get you started and then doing property investing than you would reading every single book in the library on property. Yeah. Because it's not until you live it and you experience it. Because it sounds like some of the stuff you were just going on instinct, right? Because yeah. we are we are talking late late nineties, early two thousands. There wasn't a lot yeah. of podcasts. There wasn't a lot of seminars. You were as isolated as they get. So it's really yeah. um, it's really important for people to understand that um, you were doing and learning and accumulating yeah. and sharply learning and making observations and and then using yeah. that to to guide your next move. So. You, you're, you're, I can't wait for the for the, the audience to hear the, the full extent of your portfolio. The big reveal. It's exciting to <laughs> it's exciting to see how you're building this this up. Yeah. And because because I've also got a mindset question for you because again yeah. your words you were poor, um, yeah. you were a single mother, um, you're in a small town. Did you come up with any any barriers, any any stigma, any um, problems with borrowing money? Um, all of a yeah. sudden, you're this poor girl who's now buying in the best part of town. Did that provide any challenges? The, the, there's a few things yeah. here that would, would be interesting to understand. I guess I kept it pretty quiet, what I was doing, because I felt uncomfortable. Uh, a lot of my friends weren't, you know, that they were just renters. So... I didn't want to rub, you know, I felt like I was showing off or rubbing in their face or if I talked about it. So I didn't really talk about it to my friends. Um, I was going off a lot of instinct, gut instinct. My family were against the properties. They didn't agree with it. Um, they think they thought I should just be content with one house and live in that house. It was really hard to network. It was really hard to get people, knowledgeable people in investing to talk to me. Being a female, being single, they were usually uh, wealthy married men. And if, you, if you're a single woman in her 20s <laughs> approaching the husband and, and you know, obviously it, it was just hard. It was just yeah. really, really hard. No, yeah. well, um, I can just picture, I can picture the bank manager, like, you know, like in a classic yeah. little t- country town who wants to have a cup of tea with you and talk you out of it. How was that? Like yeah. ultimately at the end of the day, did you get a great bank manager who said, yeah, let's rock? Or did you get the one who says, oh, I reckon this is about enough, Mandy. I think we, you know, we're probably getting ourselves into a bit too much debt. Might be overstretching yourself a little bit yeah. too much then. Yes. <laughs> well, I did get that, but I always went in prepared. I always did my math. I um, And again, I guess I started uh, when I became a single mum, the budgeting, the yeah. budgeting um, and I, I, I needed to make ends meet. I needed to put ta- food on the table for my children. So I learnt the art of budgeting and I learnt what I could and couldn't afford. And I knew with any of my properties, I couldn't afford. It, it, the property couldn't cost me anything. Um, if, it had to, if it cost me something, I couldn't afford it. So the, more, the rent, the potential rent had to cover the mortgage, the rates, the insurance, the water, everything. 
And that's um, after the vacant block of land, which you bought for 40 grand, which is not income producing. So was that yes, a lesson from correct. that in terms of, ooh, next time I need to have something covering itself? Um, yes, but I, the block of land, it was an impulse. But actually, everything I've brought has been an impulse buy. <laughs> <laughs> I, I buy houses like women, other women buy shoes. Right. Um, yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. So um, uh, I, I guess I, I still don't, I, at this stage, uh, and at that point, I still don't regret buying the property. It's still in the back of my mind that I'm going to do something great with that property and it will work for me. So I'm yeah, happy man. to still chip away and pay the rates and pay. I mean, the rates were like $800 a year for um, it was an undeveloped block was 800 a year. So it was manageable. And the mortgage, the mortgage for it was already wrapped up in another mortgage. So I kind of didn't feel... Yep. It yeah, yeah, yeah. It it's forty grand, right? So it's yes. So it's not a big number. Yeah, yeah. Yep. It is a big number when you earn thirty-five grand a year. It's a big number, yeah, of course. Because <laughs> yeah. that's point. that's kind of where your income peaked too, isn't it? You you know when you were yeah. chatting with us, you never you, you said that you never earned more than thirty-six thousand. So that's an important yeah. thing, right? Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. Still to this day, it's probably up around the forty-two mark now. Forty-two thousand wow. a year. Yeah, but I don't include the properties as, as because I'm still my my goal is to uh, retire at sixty, as in retire all my mortgages at sixty, so that they're all paid off at sixty. When I turn sixty, that's my birthday present. All my mortgages yep. are paid so let's out. Let's give context. How many years away is that? I'm forty six. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we've got fourteen so, years. 14. To go. 14 yeah. years to go. And yeah. so we've moved into this uh, renovator's property. So it's obviously yep. under a Kapara appeal, good bones, character charm, 15-foot yep. ceilings or 12-foot ceilings, as you're talking about, the yeah. Baltic pine six-inch boards. I, I can picture mm-hmm. it now. Um, so, yep. And you, go, you move into that and, and you renovate it. Take mm-hmm. us to the next step in the story. Everything goes downhill. The drought hits. I lose my job. Uh, and that was working for the government. I lose my job. And um, I had no money. I had kids in private schools and I had a mortgage. So my cousin re- um, gave me a lifeline and said that he had a, um, a worker's cottage on his property about 45 minutes away. And I think within the week we packed up and moved rent-free on this property that needed work doing to it. Um, so we stayed there for a year. Um, till I could find work and I, I, I did. I, you know, hustled and found work. I had a couple of jobs going and um, that helped get and, – and, and when I moved out, I rented the house, yeah. which then covered the mortgage. Yeah. So that saved me. But that was a really, really dark period um, and that was a period where my family and friends were pushing me to either sell the block or sell the house um, to help me out, to, you know, to give me money. But I just couldn't. I just couldn't sell them. I just knew that they were pivotal in my future and I just needed to hang on to them. And what would you have got for the block of land if you had sold it at that time? Because how long would you have held the block and had it appreciated or has it just been, you know, stagnant? Look, I probably would have got an extra 9,000, probably around, you know, the 49,000 for it. Um, So not much. So when you think about the interest that you would have paid on it, plus the rates notice, 
plus the capital yeah. gain, because ultimately it wasn't mm-hmm. a principal place of residence, you would have probably, yeah. you know, there would have been probably yeah. a little bit of red ink after all yeah. that cost um, after holding it for so for so long. Yeah. And, but I guess I understood where everybody was coming from. I had my ass hanging out. There were some days where we were living, it was 27 kilometres away from the bus stop. So there were some days where I had to choose between feeding the kids or driving them to school because I had to drive them 27 kilometres to the bus stop. So there there were days where I had to choose um, and my kids are very grateful that I chose to feed them instead of sending them to school. But, um, so is the Department so, of Human Services. Yeah. <laughs> Mandy, you yeah. you you are you, you tell this story very humbly, but um, you're you're an incredible human, right? There there is some Good. there is some mental mindset stuff that you um, have incredible resilience and just the ability. I mean, I, I made the note you just said it, but your family said you were. I'm making these words up, but family family said you were mad. Why, why are you doing this? You've got enough. Um, like everyone's got a great story to tell in the rear vision mirror, but it's when you're looking through the front windscreen, when you're faced with these decisions at the time, where do you, where do you think you found that resilience from? Cause you've, you've explained to us, there's no family tree history that you could lean on. Yeah. You, you obviously said there's no people you could talk to. So you're looking at these books, but when faced with some of these circumstances, like you've just described, where did that inner resourcefulness come from? Um, I think my mom and dad, my dad, in his work ethic, he was always a really hard worker and always well-respected um, wherever he worked and with whoever he worked with. And mum, as, as, you know, essentially a single mum. She was a single mum. She raised us and she did a really, really good job. And uh, I think from them. And, and the fact I had these two precious kids looking at me and needing me, I had no option but to hustle. I had mm. no option but mm. to succeed. Mm. Um, I, I just and I just thought I I knew it was only a moment in time. This really bad period. It was just a moment in time. And if I could just get to the other end and say keep the properties, keep the two properties that I had, I'd be all right. No, three. I three. I had the two. I had the two houses and the block and of land. land. Yeah. Yeah. And so you moved back a, a, a year later back into that house to finish off the renovations. Is that what happened? No. Or? No. No. I finished those renovations off while the tenants were in there. Okay. Um, it was pretty it was pretty close to being finished anyway. Yep. Um, but while the tenants were in there, that way I could claim <laughs> claim it on tax. Know your maths. Yeah. Know your tax. What's claimable, what's not claimable. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so the, uh, yeah. Did the drought break at that time as well? Or no, you were still in drought? No, we were still in drought, but I was hustling. I was um living, I was where I ended up working in the kitchens at the hospital. Um and also at a reception job for um, the mental health facility, local mental health facility. Loved both the jobs, really enjoyed them. Um, but then my daughter also during this period, oh, I ended up buying uh, after about 12 months of living rent-free, yeah. very generously off my cousin, um, I was able, we went through a really bad mouse plague, really bad mouse plague and um, the shack that we were living in was on the ground and we were just inundated 
it was just terrific. Anyway, we we decided I decided I couldn't live there anymore. So we brought another house in a even smaller town outside of Forbes. It, it was cheaper than paying rent. So I thought, well, I'll just buy it. Um, and then we stayed there for about two years in this other smaller town. My daughter then was getting badly bullied at school. So the decision I made was to send her to a boarding school because she was smart. She was book smart um, and I wanted her to do well. But um, I feared at that period of time it was if I didn't do something drastic for my daughter, I was going to lose her. I thought something would happen. Um, She was in a very dark place. So I sent her to boarding school in Sydney at $35,000 a year. And I was earning $34,000 a year. So the car got sold (laughs) to help pay for the school fees. And my son and I moved back to Forbes into a two-bedroom apartment, was paying $135 a week. And I just, all my money went to the boarding school for Claudia, for her to stay there. She did year 11 and 12 in Sydney. And it was hard. It was really, really hard. But again, I was still able to retain my properties. And Alex and I lived in a two-bedroom flat. And Claudia would sleep in the lounge room when she came home for school holidays. Is that mathematically possible? If you're earning thirty-four before tax and you've got to pay yeah. 35000 after tax, the, the, yeah. you're good at maths, Mandy. That, that, that doesn't add up. <laughs> I know. No, I sold my car. So that, um, so I got a bit of money for that and paid the paid about ten thousand off straight away off the um, school fees, and then I paid three hundred and fifty dollars a week uh, on the school fees every week, and then I got I received about a six thousand dollar tax return that year that went off the school fees, everything I earned. So, so obviously that's the that's the working wage that you were getting, but obviously you were getting rent off the other two properties. Yeah, um, but they were was... they weren't breaking. They were only just breaking even. They weren't making me any money yet. So coming back to Bryce's point, then yeah. how did you how did you get groceries? How did you like? Ultimately, there's still an ongoing cost associated with. Yeah, we, we, we visited mum and dad a lot for dinner around dinner time. <laughs> <laughs> okay. yeah. Oh yeah, we used to. No, it was it was hard. It was really really hard. And so you know, there there were some weeks there was. There wasn't even the money was gone before I even received the money from work. Um, it was hard, but at the end, when Claudia graduated, I owed eighteen thousand dollars. I was able to pay it all off, and my mum and dad wrote the check um, to pay that off so that she could graduate because they told me she wouldn't be able to graduate unless you know all the money was paid, which I knew, which I understood, because you know once you once you're not invested in paying for it. Why, why would you keep paying? Yeah. So mum and dad wrote the check, but I paid them back within a year of writing that check. I, I had paid them back, um, again, just by budgeting. Can I just check in on, this is obviously a big impact for the kids as well, right? So Claudia and Alex are coming on yeah. this journey with you. You're educating them about the the, the delayed gratification here. Trust me, there's a payoff mm-hmm. that coming. Um, <laughs> it's going to come at some point. Um, did the bullying have anything to do with your socioeconomic status in the community going to a private school there, or was it something else? Yeah. No, it was just something else. Okay, fine. It was, yeah. Yep. No, yeah, no we, we, were, 
We were on a level playing field in that town. We were, uh, it was only a small town of three and a half thousand people yeah. and it was a working class town. Yep. So no, n- not, um, not, not because of us. It was just something internally within the school going on. Wow. Can we, um, Oh, my jaw's been on the on the, the the desk for most of this conversation, right? So incredible yeah. resilience, and I'm I mean it. You are an incredible oh, woman. Thank you. Um, can we fast forward to the bit because everyone's listening to this? They are hanging on every word, right? But so, what does this delayed gratification look like now? What tell us about the portfolio? Because there's there's yeah. there's more properties than what you've just described, and um, if you're comfortable, the net position is yeah. Is pretty inspirational. Okay, so, so fast forward, I end up um, with, I've got, I had to write it down because I keep forgetting. And that sounds really wanky, but it's not. <laughs> I've got, I, I have five properties that are income producing. And of those five properties, some of them are multiple income streams. So that's what I eventually have learnt is to do dual income streams on a property. Um because if one's empty, I've still got income coming in. Um, so I have 10 income streams at the moment with the potential for six more on what I already have, as in I've got a couple of blocks of land. I have um, I brought a beautiful old um, bank down the main street of Forbes. Of course you, you know, did. The, yeah. <laughs> no one, no one would be surprised by that. Yeah. <laughs> So I broke that. I've broken that. It was empty when I brought it. ANZ Bank had left town about four years previously and the building had just been sitting there empty. And I was just, it had been empty for four years, been for sale for four years. And the funny thing is I drove past it on a Monday and I thought, nobody's brought that. I'd love to do something with that. So I set up an appointment, inspected it on the Wednesday and signed the contracts on the Friday. So within five days of looking at it, I'd brought it. Um, so that that property uh, has three income streams at the moment and it's got a potential for two more. So I've got two more areas to develop to get an income, to get more income from so that. So I'm, I'm assuming it's got an upstairs, downstairs if it's a two-storey building Correct. and that way you've got a second a- access point out the back. So you're sort of renting out office space or co-op space up top and let yeah. me guess did we did we put a coffee shop downstairs or something along that lines <laughs> sort of you know Nothing that exciting. or something <laughs> <laughs> no i um so it had the um bank managers apartments upstairs uh-huh. so i turned that into a three-bedroom apartment and yeah yep. put a spiral staircase out the back so that they had um Soul access, access. Yep. yeah um and then downstairs out the back was then the bank manager's parlour. So that was where he would entertain and have dinners. And that space was open and big enough to put a Pilates studio in there. So the local physios put a Pilates studio in there. And then I at the moment currently have a um, solar company renting out the main section of the bank but they're about to move at Christmas time and I'm about to get an insurance company in there. Um, Yeah. uh, So, so I've got those three tied up and then I actually on that property have the 
first building ever built in Forbes on my property and it's a stables. So the Cobb and Coach would have stopped there mm-hmm. um, because um, we're a gold rush town. So the gold would have been transported and my bank actually has a lookout for the Cobb and Co Coach. So I ha- I can develop that into a coffee shop <laughs> <laughs> with an alfresco outdoor area. <laughs> You better and be careful also, there too, Mandy, because the kids might come to you and uh, sort of pitch that that's the, the bank of, or t- typically the bank of mum and dad, but in your case, the <laughs> bank of mum, right? So they might be leveraging that for the uh, for their first house. No, because I set my kids up. I They both got jobs at McDonald's yeah. when they were 14 yeah. and I made them open two bank accounts Yeah. and 50% of their wage went into the savings account and mm. then the other 50% they could do with what they wanted. No questions asked. Mm. They could do with what they wanted. Mm. Um, and they had enough money when they both graduated school to buy a house each. Take a bow. So, yeah. So they, I, the, I know the Barefoot Investor talks about pocket money and jars for their children. And I talked to my kids about this before I came on here to talk to you guys. And I said, what was growing up? like with me what was the money conversations do you remember and they do remember they they said they knew we did it hard that it was a hustle for me but they never felt they missed out they never felt that they missed out in comparison to their friends at school I think growing up in a country town those expectations are a bit lower than what the kids I have in the city like birthday parties are at Macca's still here, you know, um, or at, at the local park. It's not a massive mm. thing. I think life is a bit more simpler out here. So they remember that. I never gave them pocket money. And my thing was I never wanted those expectations of getting money each week because there were some weeks and months that I just couldn't give them any. There was no spare money to give them. And I have a strong belief in if, they helped do the housework, the, the kitchen, the dishes, made the beds, that sort of thing. That was part of living in a mm. living. Uh, you know, that, that was just part of responsibilities. Teamwork. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. And and if we worked as a team, and, and when you say that, we were a team. The three of us were a team. And if one dropped the ball, you know, the other two would help pick it up. Um, mm. I, I remember instances where I would find $5 in my wallet because my son knew that I was really broke that week and he mm. would put money in um, to my account. Um, yeah, so it, uh, look, yeah, um, the, kids, the kids came along the journey with a really, I think, healthy appetite, uh, not a healthy appetite, but a healthy respect for money. And because my, my saying is a dollar given does not have the same value as a dollar earned. If you give a person a dollar, and they've got to go and earn that same dollar, they'll do two different things with that same dollar. Mm. And, and they'll, they'll just value it differently. So mm. my, I, I, never, I never gave my kids money. Um, well done. They there's had to some, earn it. There's some wonderful, um, there's some wonderful generational um, uh, paradigms that you're setting up with your kids. And I'm glad you did, because I did have that um, curiosity around what did that mean for your kids um, going through the journey. Mandy, my, my wrap-up queries for you are, are this. Uh, if you're comfortable, I think I think you're comfortable yeah. that you are selling of seven properties. Uh, that's a mix of commercial, yeah. vacant land um, and residential with multiple income stream properties. So you shared that with us before the interview. 
if you feel comfortable, I wonder if you could do two things. One, let us know what the, the size of the portfolio looks like now and, and then wrap it out by, um, and that's in terms of value if you feel comfortable. And for me, yeah. wrapping it up in what will it feel like for you when you get to 60 and you've retired out the debts and you'll have created this um, incredible pathway with an incredible journey, with incredible stories based on the beginnings that you described at the top of the show. What would that mean for you in, uh, w- yeah. within yourself? Okay, well, to start with, I've, I am valued between 3.2 to 3.5 million. And I have a debt of 1 million, or well, 1.45, I think, I owe. Um, so basically, if I had to sell everything, I'd have, you know, let's say 2.3 in the bank. Um, I'm pretty happy with that. Oh, yeah, <laughs> I'm, <laughs> I'm, but it's funny, I don't look at the value, though. I don't pay too much attention to the value. I, I'm all about the return, what it makes me, the income. Because okay. uh, from, from you, you guys also say, you know, why would you sell? And which I have, I have, I have had to sell a couple, you know, ones that weren't performing very well. Um, and I've also made an educated decision to sell one property that had good equity in it so that I could develop a better property um, so that I could release that equity, have that money to develop a better property that was going to earn me more money in the long term. Um, so currently, if I was, I, I earn around 147000 a year on rental income. And if I don't buy any more properties and just develop, continue to develop what I've got, build on a couple of blocks of land and develop the other two areas at the bank, I will be earning another 90000 on top. But I would have to spend another probably 800000 in order. So I've got to yeah. weigh it up to see whether it's worth it. Um, I guess I li- I still live very frugally and I just love providing really good quality properties for my tenants. I love it when they walk in and go, oh, I've got to rent it. I just really enjoy it. And I really enjoy providing good quality but affordable rent for my tenants because I want them to feel, have that sense of ownership so that they take it and run with it and can do um, things with the properties and 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 stay I want them to stay because you know a dollar lot you know a week a week's loss of rent you might as well you know knock ten dollars a week off your rent yeah, yeah. Um, each time they move out there's that um, you know loss of income so um, I I'm just I'm really proud of my kids um, in the fact that I was able to teach them these things and they've got a really good start in life. My daughter had two years off um, when she finished school. She took two years off, saved and brought a house and then went to university. So when she graduates, yes, she'll have debt, but she's got a house. She's got an investment property and, you know, you just, it's just, so uh, empowering and so I'm so grateful that those ki- my kids were able to learn those lessons from me. How great's that? And you know what? I'm going to be fine. If I lose, okay, if I can just hang on to one, if, if the market crashes and, and it all goes to hell, 
I always stay on principle and interest um, because, again, I adopted that pay down the debt from my parents. So I've always, only in the darkest time did I go to interest only to reduce my payments and that was for two years and it made me physically sick to do that. So all my properties are always principal and interest uh, and all my properties have to pay for themselves or otherwise I can't own them <laughs> if they don't pay for themselves. So I've got some quick fire questions for you just to sort of round out because I could we could spend all day talking to you, Mandy. It's a, it's really <laughs> right. um, you're, a more, you're a more user. Um, you, you've got all the information inside the platform. Money smarts, how do you how do you sort of set up your money smarts and use that as part of um, the way in which you now organise things? Uh, do you do the annual rollovers or tell me a little bit more about that story? I'm still on my L plates with it. Yep. I'm still getting the hang of it but enjoying getting the hang of it, enjoying learning all the little um, tips and tricks that I can use in it because I guess over the years too, I love budgets now. I love budgets and it's a live document. So you can, all, I'm always tweaking it, especially when I buy a new property. Yeah. In it comes. Adding, I get to do my budget more. again. Well, we've got some yeah. exciting stuff coming in that space, which will blow your mind in terms of some of the gauges and instruments. I know. That are coming. So just a couple then. So yep. you've climbed this mountain up, you know, and at some points you were climbing and not going anywhere. You're crawling, you're getting into the top of this mountain. You know, when did you have the realization? that you're now running downhill quickly? Like when did when did it sort of arrive in your mindset to say, I've actually, from this point forward, really nothing, as you can say, could break the strategy because even if there was a massive downturn, you've got a, a clear amount of cash flow, a clear amount of everything that's coming. So when, when, when did you have that moment um, of peace of mind? And, and ultimately, um, why are you continuing to drive forward when effectively it really will be debt-free by the time you're, um, you're 60? Um, I probably still don't feel that, um, that freedom, that, that sense of achievement. I, okay. I don't think, and I don't think I ever will. I, I don't know why. It, I think it's always having to hustle all my adult life that, I just feel I don't. I haven't made it yet, and well, I, I guess tell you you have. Um, so so for, and and what we don't want you to do to develop is financial anorexia, right? Like and ultimately yeah. not not being able to enjoy what you've built, um, because yeah. now now if this brings you much joy and as you say you get great uh, joy and and reward out of contribution and passing on it and obviously telling the community today about your story, if that's not motivating for them, I don't know what is. Um, and ultimately that's part of that contribution piece, right? So yeah, um, yeah you may, you, you know, you may do more work in that area in terms of, because in theory, if you did stop now, um, yeah. you are going to reach uh, financial peace as part of our seven grades. And obviously the yeah. final grade is contribution. Now you're making that in the knowledge that you're passing on and telling your story as well, but there will also be, it'll start, you know, your portfolio will start spitting off more and more cash and more and more equity. So then what you decide to do with it in terms of the contribution you make is, is ultimately your choice. But what I will say is go off and buy yourself a new car, go off and enjoy a bit of that money, yeah. give yourself some rewards along the way. Cause if you don't, 
um, you know, ultimately yeah. I would feel bad for you. Now, <laughs> if, if you've got your own, you know, happiness, that's yeah. great. But there's certainly something in there to sort of say, you know, splurge, have a little holiday, um, move from um, economy grade to maybe a four-star or a five-star hotel, give yourself a few treats along the way. I guess, in honesty, I have started to do that. Um, yeah, I have. I, my mother and I in 2019 went to Europe and we flew business class. Oh, yes. <laughs> Yay. So, um, yeah, and that was pivotal. That was like, oh, my God. Um, and I did buy a new car. I've got the entry-level Alfa Romeo, a little tiny Alfa Romeo, one up. Uh, and I actually, funnily enough, that little Honda Jazz that I had, I ended up keeping it long enough and I gave it to my daughter when she got her licence. Ah, nice. Uh-huh. Nice yeah, rounding because, out of that story. Yeah, I brought, well, both the kids got a, a car worth under $1,000 each because when they went into adult life, I didn't want them to go into debt for a car. Yeah, I wanted them to have a car and, yeah, they've only just recently both upgraded their entry-level cars. But, um, yeah, go on, sorry. No, I was going to say my final question to you was really yeah. around you've got the floor, you've got the community. You you mentioned when we int- we first introduced before recording that you've made plenty of mistakes or there's things that you would, you know, look at again. Can you just share a summary of what they look like? Because um, you, you've obviously prepared for today as well. So the floor is yours in terms of what you want to tell the community about this this amazing journey that you've been on yeah. and, you know, what you might change again if you if you had the benefit of hindsight. Yeah. Oh, oh dear. I wasn't ready for this, believe it or not. <laughs> um, I, I just knew I wanted a better life for me and my kids and I didn't want to have to work. And I just want all the single mums and all the people struggling on entry-level wages to know that it can happen, that you can just do it. Um, the, the deposits that they're talking about now and the Sydney prices – and I, I agree with you guys on the um, on your system that you guys used to invest in properties. But I also think that it's not achievable and it can sometimes be daunting for people that are earn this amount of money, my, my amount of money. It can be too scary and too daunting. Because honestly, to save, I, raising my children, there was no way I could save. There, there's no way I could save for a deposit um, for a house. It just was not achievable. Um, but getting that foot in that door at an entry level, you know, looking outside the square, you've just got to hustle. You've just yeah. got to hustle and look outside the square um, and don't, don't don't look at the Joneses. Don't look at the next-door neighbours. Um, no is not an option. Yeah, yeah, just keep hustling. We have a formula that that works, um, that's proven to work. But we've mm. said, you know, on occasion on the podcast that that's just our formula. You have yeah. demonstrated that there are certainly other ways in which you can go about creating that. Yeah. As you said, you're not diversified. You you know, all your eggs in one jar, all of that type of stuff. But it it also proves that yeah, you know, not everyone can do that. Um, but there is a massive story in here to sort of say exactly that, that um, just because we talk often about one particular way of doing it doesn't mean yeah. that that's, a, you know, that, that there are, aren't other ways to get it done. So, and you're a testimony to that. So congr- all credit to you. 
Thank you. I, my my kids um, listen to your podcast and, you know, question me and, and pull me up on things now, little bastards, and go, <laughs> Mom, that's not what they suggest. You're doing it wrong. And I'm like, yeah, I know. But it's <laughs> but not I guess doing it wrong. Like, it's just doing it different. It's just doing it different. Right? Yeah. yeah. I, I, I do. Um, but also living out in the country and living in the small towns, um, the second tier banks won't lend yeah. out here. Their criteria is to, which I understand they have to look after, that they have to make money and it's too much of a risk. But um, yeah. I do get, um, I, I do find it very hard to get financing out here um, for the small towns. But I do, I have diversified in, I do own two properties on the Sunshine Coast and one yeah. in Wagga, um, but the rest, oh, and one in Dubbo as well. Yeah. Yeah, okay. so, so there I, is a diversification story in there. Yeah. There, there. There is a slight diversification, but again, they're all, you know, mostly yeah, mostly but, but the, the strategy is that you've gone, you've you've had to go cash flow first, and yeah. you, as you know, that you're watching capital growth prices in some areas go amazingly strong over 25 years. You haven't had that capital growth that those yeah. other areas have had, but you still had growth, but just not yeah. at the same pace. And that's exactly. that's a product of yeah. the that's basically the product of the commerce that gets done in that area, right? And ultimately, yeah. the more commerce that gets done in an area drives um, demand for the land, which pushes up the value, mm. right? So, yeah. but, but that's 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 just. But it doesn't mean again, you know, what's a good analogy? You've got two golfers. One's really long off the tee and can hit an amazing ball a long way, um, and but it has a pretty ordinary short game. Someone has yeah. an amazing short game with an awesome putter, but it has a poor long game. They they still win tournaments. Do you know what yeah. I mean? Like they still find a way of making that happen. And I think you know that that's yeah. a message. And I and I agree with you. You know, that when someone like you was to come to our business, we don't give up on that story. We're just basically saying mm. that story is it's going to look different. We're going regional. We're going cash flow. Yeah. We're going those types of things because it's still better than not doing anything, as you exactly. rightly point out, right? Yeah, yeah. I I I knew that it, that was the sacrifice that I had to make. There yeah. was no capital growth, very limited capital growth in my properties. Um, I I knew that uh, going in with every property that I've brought, the potential, especially out here in the country. Yeah. But I needed. I've always needed that income stream and i never planned on selling so it yeah. didn't factor in too heavily for me as long as i knew that i'd make my money back if i had to sell um i yep. always knew i could do that but uh, moving forward i you know i i do think i need to uh, i need to be like forrest gump when he played the football and the the musicians had to stop him from oh. running stop! I, yeah. I watched I it last weekend with the kids for the first time i'm like stop <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no. Yeah. Uh, you, you, My you, kids, someone needs to do that for me. Well, I think oh. your other secret part of your your secret sauce or your success is in the secret sauce is you've looked at the productive use of the land, and yeah. that is the other. So, so you've made additional income contributions on that. So, what a lot of people do is the productive use of a single block of land is only that's productive. You've looked and explored of different ways of bringing income, which increases yeah. the productive use of that land, which ultimately increases the land value. So same with that bank, getting five yeah. or six incomes off that. If you took that to a commercial sales agent, they're looking at the yield you're getting on that, and they're going to increase the capital value of that 
because of the ultimate yield that you've been able to turn that into. So again, that's just, you know, turning apples into apple pie. You've done a great job of doing that. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks. That's incredible. Well done. Wow. I know I'm not rounding that off very well. Oh, beautiful. Um, and I could just keep talking and talking, but um, I know we've got to finish. <laughs> well, Mandy, here's the, here's the deal for you to understand that uh, we get a lot of people that write into us and say, can you please um, provide a case study for someone who's gone through a divorce and yeah. um, how they've actually got through the other side? Now, um, Ben and I don't have a lived experience around that, so we can only yeah. talk to it at a theoretical level. But um but you've just provided inspiration and you've provided uh, an opportunity for people who can relate to parts of your story or all of your story and go, wow, this, this is actually achievable. I, I, I can actually uh, leverage um, Mandy's legacy here and go, all right, well, she, she said if it was to be, it was up to me and all of the, the, all of the theoretical things around delayed gratification and what it takes to actually do and the sacrifices that you make and even just listening to the story of what you did for your daughter for year 11 and 12. There are certain times where Ben and I have a wonderful, wonderful um, opportunity with this podcast and we love talking to everyone that comes on here. But every now and then someone like you comes along and just absolutely floors us and gives us an opportunity to to reflect on, on just amazing humans and their spirit and their character and where they they get this result from within so i'm i'm really excited that you put your hand up to say that you would come on the the interesting point that ben uh, leaned on before um and i just wrote it down where you said i don't think i will ever have freedom i hope that's not true for you i hope that that you get an opportunity to um uh to upgrade the software that is running in your mind because you're running the latest iphone phone with um old operating software because you've now got circumstances that allow you to live live freedom which what what that means to you um you described a couple of those business class um things but i know there's a big legacy for you that if if you had that opportunity to overcome that imagine the imagine the modeling that you would do for your kids because you've modeled how to set them up financially on paper but imagine if they could see you model how to live um, a full life with experiences where I'm not just saying that I'm going to, uh, you know, pass this on to the kids or whatever your plan is. I'm actually going to take yeah. it for myself and enjoy myself. When they watch you and they see yeah. you do that, that will be monkey see, monkey do. You know, that's going to be something yeah. that will provide an incredible legacy for your kids. So, but you've you've offered uh, hope for for divorcees. You've offered hope for people who can't afford to buy in the big cities. You've offered hope for people who who don't have the most amazing um, scholastic background. You've offered hope for people who the traditional schooling system doesn't suit. I mean, you 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 provide inspiration in so many ways. And Ben said before, I mean, we've been going for how long now? There was a whole bunch of ways that I would love yeah. to have pressed in on some of the things that you said. So I'm going to round it out by saying thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I think there's going to be a lot of people that get an enormous amount of benefit from what you've shared. And um well done. You're you're a legend. Thank you so yeah. much. Thank you Very so much. Fun. I've just enjoyed it. I've just can do it all day. Appreciate yeah. it. <laughs> Thank um, you guys. And I love what you're doing. Keep it up. Thanks. Ben. And I'm so glad that the Queensland government changed their mind on, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. on that tax. What I, what I heard then is Mandy's going to help you lobby on the next big issue, Ben. <laughs> yes, I heard about the the Cairns one. So yes, I mm. You've got my vote. <laughs> ah, very good. 
Uh, well, um, again, on behalf of everyone here at the yeah. Property Couch, thanks, thanks for putting aside the Thank time you. to talk to us today. Thanks, man. Thanks, guys. Have a good Arvo. Bye. Well, folks, if that doesn't inspire, I, I don't know what does. Just um, resilience. Um, stay-at-home mum who worked out how to um, get past some conditioning, had a mindset around that she didn't ever think that she would have freedom. Um, some of the sacrifices that she was prepared to make, I mean, far out. If that doesn't get your uh, motor firing, I don't know what does, Ben. Look, there's contribution in this story too, Bryce. So, you know, from Mandy's point of view, she has financially transformed. It is an it is an unbelievable story. And people who are longtime listeners to the pod might be going, oh, but, you know, she's done it differently than what you would normally say. Well, yes, we normally talk about how value is created in land over the long term from economic acts. All of those things are true, but it's a massive property market. And there are different ways in which people make money in that market. It's the no different than the share market. You know, some people, are, you know, basically are short-term traders. Some people use CFD and leverage in the stock market. Some people are long-term buy hold. Some people are value investors. Some people plot charts, analysis, all different ways in which people are attempting to make money. And here's another good example mm. where Mandy has fundamentally said, I need to be able to make sure I can afford it. So she's done a lot of budgeting. She's done a lot of cash flow management around that as well. But she's clearly demonstrated that. Back to the point around um, that contribution, you know, when she felt like the right thing to do. You know, she's always thinking about others. She's now in a position where she can potentially tell that story. And so I'm thrilled with Mandy's transformation. And now she's making that contribution. And we checked in with her um, after the recording about how she's gone with the floods. And it's obviously been very challenging. But what was her feedback? Her feedback was, I'm just helping others. You know, like I'm I'm good. I got nothing to say. I'm just basically pitching in um, as a great community member and, and great citizen of that community as well. So Mandy, um, our hat's off to you. Um, this has been an, an awesome story of uh, resilience, uh, financial transformation, and giving us another example of how you found opportunity in a small regional country town of New South Wales, and you've built on that. But yet you've also had some curveballs and you've been able to manage through that as well. During those curveballs, Ben, she's a doer. She actually takes action yeah. and makes things happen and lets, uh, lets her doing meet where her circumstances are at and doesn't let that be a a reason not to proceed. So Mandy, you are a wonderful human. Thank you for coming and sharing your story of transformation and resilience and um, overcoming uh, some some stuff. Um, She's a survivor, Bryce. Yep. <laughs> that you've had to go. So folks, if you're listening to that going, wow, my circumstances are uh, in good shape compared to that. That's right. You shouldn't let that be a reason to stop you uh, taking action. So mate, second in the summer series down. I am loving this. Um, we have got incredible stories lined up for the rest of uh for the rest of summer uh mate so um i'm looking forward to that but until next week ben when we reveal another wonderful summer series story remember taking action your future self will thank you for it <laughs> two weeks in a row see you next week folks Hey guys, Bryce here again. Just want to catch you before you go and let you know, if you're new to our community, there are a lot of episodes to catch up on, but it's really important that you start from the very beginning at episode number one. Because episode one through to 20 share all of the foundational pillars and frameworks that you need to know to get the best out of listening to this podcast. So I'd recommend that you start there 
And the little tip is to maybe start on one and a half speed. Now for those of you that are time poor and don't have time to go back from the beginning, don't worry, we've got you covered as well because we've created a binge guide that goes through all of the details and makes it easy for you to read and get up to speed very, very quickly. So if you go to thepropertycouch.com.au forward slash fast track, you will be able to download that binge guide and you will be up to speed in no time. And whilst you're there, I've got a few extra goodies for you because we have our top five frameworks that you'll learn on this podcast, as well as the Make Money Simple Again ebook, which will help you with the foundations of basic money management so you'll have everything you need to succeed in building your own lifestyle design and getting the best out of this podcast. Now, just a reminder that anything that we cover on this podcast is not considered financial advice. We certainly recommend that you get your unique circumstances looked at by your individual advisor and everything we talk about is just general in nature. But folks, I want to encourage you again to go to thepropertycouch.com.au forward slash fast track and you can go and get all those goodies and catch up right away. Sorry to jump in at the end of your podcast, but I wanted to say a big thank you for listening. And if you love the podcast and would like to help me keep them free, do consider sponsoring me. You can subscribe for as little as 99 cents a month to sponsor a segment. Or if you want to do something as a one-off, you can click the link again in the show notes and buy me a coffee. It's a great way to help me spread this word as far and wide as possible to people like yourself who perhaps can't afford to get high-level coaching but need to access this information all the same i really appreciate your help and a big thank you for doing so also if you are somebody looking to get into coaching maybe you're an english coach or perhaps you are another professional maybe you're a life coach or you might be a mental health counselor basically anybody who is in a caring or supportive profession or maybe you you coach people in different academic subjects I'd like to feature your podcast on my show and give you a chance to reach my audience. Yes, totally free of charge. All you have to do is follow the links down below in the show notes to find out how you can connect with me and send me your files. I will upload them to the show and you can basically reach my audience and build your own business. There are no catches at all. I'm simply here to offer my platform to help as many other professionals in a related field as myself to reach as many students as we can. And together, I believe we can do a lot better. Thank you for listening again. See you soon.